The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm David Wallace-Wells. With me today, as always, is New York Magazine sex columnist Maureen O'Connor. Hey, Maureen. Hey, David. We've got a great show for you today. First, we're going to remind you about the Sex Lives voicemail box. We've been ending our shows with your responses to questions we ask about topics from previous weeks. We have some great responses to last week's episode about orgasms. So this week, you're going to hear about this one. If a guy gives a woman an orgasm, people are like handing out like a fucking Nobel Peace Prize. Like, oh, you figured it out. Like, you are amazing. Whereas if a woman doesn't give a man an orgasm, it's like... Are you broken? That's coming up later on. But first, on today's show, we're joined by someone we've been excited to have on the show for a long, long time. In fact, you've already heard Alyssa Shalaski on the show before. She left us that wonderful voicemail about waking up from a sex dream about a childhood crush and promptly flying to the country the crush was living in to jump him. (laughs) (laughs) So inspiring. The number of women that have told me how inspired they were by that story. I I actually sent him a link to it to listen, but I predicated it by saying, your wife might not like this. And I never heard from him. So I have a feeling he's actually such a good guy and like a decent man. I have a feeling when he read your wife might not like this, he knew like not to engage. He didn't even listen to it? No, he was like, I'm not taking her bait. Like, I know. I don't think so. Alyssa is also the woman behind New York Magazine's incredible sex diaries, which she'll tell us about. She's also written about her own sex and love life um, in a number of pieces for The Cut. Um, There's one great one called I Love Men, But I'm Thinking of Having a Baby Without One, which she then actually did. Her child is now eight months old. She'll be telling us about that. Um, She also wrote a great piece called I Did Laundry for Love and Other Tales for My Roman Romance Gone Wrong. Her work has also appeared in countless other places, and we're super excited to have her in the studio with us today. Alyssa, welcome. Thank you. I'm a sex life super fan. (laughs) This is awesome. I think Maureen was like especially excited to ask you about how it's been to live so long in semi-sexual public as a person who's written about sex for a long time. But I think maybe the best place to start is something I just learned when talking with Maureen about prepping for the show, which is that you actually share a bedroom with your baby daughter, which means that... If and when I decide to start having sex, there's going to be a, yeah, an A little issue. time management so, issue. So, there's going to be some um, Googling. I, I already have Googled. And I think a married couple might do the same. Like, at what age uh, should you no longer have sex in front of your child? At what age should you no longer masturbate in front of do you your child? No, I haven't. But because um, <laughs> it's, it's a one bedroom. I mean, we have yeah. there's other there's other spaces. I mean, okay, dating with a baby is mostly very nice and mostly lovely because I'm so tired and like pleasure deprived that I'm so thrilled to be taken out for a glass of wine by like a handsome man. So in a way, I'm enjoying dating while, pre- uh, while having a baby very much. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also like a real return to innocence about it because there's no, like I have 45 minutes. So it's like, come to my roof and let's like split a bag of potato chips and see if we <laughs> like each other and if we want to do it again. And there's like a sweetness to that. It's not like, let's go to the right restaurant and drink the right drink and like have the right... Uh, conversations. So um, it's not so much the beer-soaked one-night stands. Oh, God, no. No. <laughs> I mean, I don't even, I barely drink anymore. And like, yeah. there's no, like, the hooking up, I've 
I'm going to be totally honest. I've, she's eight months old, and I've only hooked up with one person since she's – so maybe you want to kick me out of this no. room. No. <laughs> was, was she there when you hooked up with that person? No. She was in the – she was She sleeping. was in the living room or she whatever? Was, yeah. I was, I was actually much more concerned with, like, is my babysitter going to think I'm a whore that I'm, like, bringing a guy? Wait, the babysitter was in the house? No, but I had to walk in with, like, my dates uh-huh. and, like, pay the babysitter uh-huh. and say – you know, here's $60, thank you. And like, so the first time with this guy, I made him hide in my stairwell because I just didn't want my babysitter to judge me. Um, and the second like time- back in high school. Well, this is what I'm saying. There yeah. is like a lot of this like, uh, yeah, this innocence. That's like, it's, I can like see your faces. Like it makes you blush again. It's, it's, it's really refreshing. Did you ever masturbate with her in the room? N- no, but I did pregnant and I remember Googling that. I'm being like, can what, the what can the fetus up? know? Yeah, like, what, just do they know? Does it feel good to yeah. the baby? Like, are there like extra like happy feel good, good hormones going to the baby? Don't, are there? Isn't that, isn't that like some way that you can bring about labor? Is I that, think that's sex. Sex, not message. yeah. Yeah, um, I was not. No, I was not having sex at that point. Okay. <laughs> Month nine or whatever. Yeah, yeah. For me, dating while pregnant in the beginning was awesome because my like tits were amazing and <laughs> I've always been I I've never been like a, a boob girl like I I never really loved my boobs and so I felt super sexy and I, like, I just wanted to like go to second base with anyone who <laughs> would. um and then I quickly I'm like too I was just like too vain to date while pregnant like I just felt I felt kind of like dumpy and sweaty it's so funny i find like pregnant women so so hot like i think a lot of men do too let me tell you like having a baby is like such a panty dropper like (laughs) (laughs) men it 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 has never been an issue like dating while pregnant dating with a a newborn like if anything i've i've had like a lot more guys want to date me how so like i mean do you think is it like other men that have children or just people that sort of see this this sort of ready-made family and they're ready for it too? No, I think what it is is, Maureen, you can probably relate to this. I think mm-hmm. when men meet me and they like read some of my work or read my book, they're like, okay, she's definitely fun and she's definitely um, like a cool girl, but um, maybe she's too wild or maybe she's uh-huh. um, a loose cannon or maybe, you know, and um, – this like checks off the like has her shit together box like big time. So they have all that intrigue of they're intrigued by us. They're turned on by us. And now that I have a baby, I think they also know that I am smart and can take care of myself and probably don't party too hard. You yeah. Know, all these thing, things that we, we are prejudged by, I want, I think. I think that maybe we can rewind a little to that. You started your career as a sex columnist at sort of, I don't know, almost the height of sex columnists in New York. Kind of. Well, it was more of like I was more of a relationship writer. Mm -hmm. Um, It was for Glamour. It was 10 years ago. Um, It was Condé Nast's first um, like foray into like like online blogging. It was back when no one even knew what the word blog was. Yeah. Um, And I was their dating columnist for Glamour. And it was, I never, like, I kind of shit on that job all the time. And I have a ton (laughs) of regrets about it. Um, And 
the gig was I'd have to write a paragraph every day about being single in L.A. where I was living. Mm -hmm. And then I'd have to ask the readers to vote on what I should do. So the, like, the marketing of it all was like, help this girl find a boyfriend. Yeah. And, like, Wait, did you always have to follow their orders? Desperate for love. And I had to follow their orders. That's so crazy. Why did you agree to that? Exactly. <laughs> um, I agreed to it because I was 28 and, and it was dying a job. to work. It was a lot of money. And I was dying to like break into like a big glossy magazine. Yeah. But I look back and it's just like, who who would do that? Also, I thought nobody would read it because I, really I didn't know what the word blog meant. Yeah. So Was I, there any part of you that was like excited by the idea of like open sourcing your dating and sex no, life? No. I wasn't excited about any of it. And this is what I want to get to. I learned from that experience that I'm okay being open. I'm okay writing mm -hmm. about love and sex, but I'm never going to do anything that makes me uncomfortable. I had a pit in my stomach about that blog from the very beginning. And also, I didn't know then at 28 that you can say to your boss or your editor or whatever, um, nope, that's not my voice. Like, that's not yeah. the message I want to deliver to the world. You know, they wanted a girl who was desperate for love. So I sort of wrote this <laughs> yeah. girl who was desperate for love and um, it was excruciating. And so it wasn't until the cut launched, really, that mm -hmm. I s went back into writing about my own life because the cut has the exact opposite philosophy, which is just like be as authentic to yourself and the reality of mm -hmm. being a woman today as possible um, instead of all that sort of like regressive, like going to yeah. die if I don't find love shit. Well, how is that like you, you kind of mentioned um, what you've learned about sort of boundaries over the years. Um, has having a kid changed that, like changed what is possible for you to write about and talk about? And, um, you know, do you have a different set of standards than you did five years ago? Yeah, um, I think I'm <laughs> throughout the years, I've become more and more private just because secrets are nice you know <laughs> like see I, I love secrets and I've I've dated guys that many guys that I've never written a word about um mm -hmm. I sort of go to I don't know about you but I sort of like go to the same like four like the Greek dentist who couldn't bring me yeah. home to his parents like the celebrity chef who I fell in love with on top chef and uh the the Roman the Jewish Romano who like loved uh. his mother more than me so the, like I sort of like all my articles go back to those three, but there's, you know, I'm 38 years old. There's been a lot in mm -hmm. between. Um, so I, I think I'm shutting down a little bit, at least for now. It, it's just an instinct. Um, like I met somebody that I I kind of think is great um, recently. And like, there's just no part of me that feels like putting that out into the universe. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I guess I'm just, when you have a kid, like the stakes are just higher. You know, it's like, if I do fall in love again, I don't want to fuck it up. It's interesting. You're sort of like uh, um, an extreme case study because you do write about this stuff. But I guess like everybody has to deal with it because everybody's publishing material basically about their own lives all the time. So, yeah, um, you know, I'd sort of never really thought about like what your kids are going to see of you. But it is like a, a big thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's. By the time she gets on the internet, yeah, there will be, hopefully I'll have like book deals and TV deals and she'll be like reading about mommy's Emmy and, and not mommy's blowjobs. But, um, or at least but, both of them. But at least, yeah. yeah, one leads to the other, I guess. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, but it's also just like I have, I can't believe I'm even saying this out loud, but like I have mom friends now and yeah. there's, there's people in our village that are like, that I just, I'm not comfortable with them knowing about my intimate life you know 
Um, could we rewind a little maybe and just talk about the decision to have a baby on your own? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I always wanted to be a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really cared about being a wife. Um, that's not some like defense mechanism, 38-year-old thing to say. I truly didn't care about getting married or uh, having finding a husband, but I, I couldn't wait to be a mom my whole life. Um, did, you, did you see those two things as separate always? Yeah, kind of. That's really interesting. Yeah. I just I, my, my fantasies of me as a grown-up just entailed me and my, my children. Um, anyway, I came off of that Italian breakup which was a, a bad one. It, it was, I, for those who didn't read the, the story, um, I went to Italy to try and write my second book. And it was supposed to be like a six-week thing, an Airbnb by myself. And the first person I spoke to in Italy, no exaggeration, was a man who I fell in love with immediately. And he fell in love with me. And I mean, it was like, it was as classic Italian. I mean, he's like riding a motorcycle and smoking a cigarette and I asked him for directions and we were inseparable from that. No way. Wait, that is literally the first moment that he was on a motorcycle with a cigarette. I'm telling you, like, the shit writes itself. (laughs) But it wasn't a book. It was a rom-com that you were writing. It was, yeah, yeah, totally. Well, it ended up being a, yeah. Or a rom tragedy. Yeah. What's it called? A dramedy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So... And he was like a Roman Jew, and I'm Jewish, and like I think genetically like Italian Jew. It was just all like, and he was so my type. Like he had that like Justin Thoreau thing, like unshaven, Mm -hmm. bad but not too bad. And um, anyway, I didn't leave it. I stayed in Rome uh, for a year. So the six weeks that you were going to be there working on your book then turns into about a year and a half. You know, Mm -hmm. I I came back for, for. a few things in New York, but I was living in Rome and I had moved my career. I had become like a the Rome correspondent for Condé Nast Travel. I mean, I like, I've made it happen and it wasn't easy. And I said goodbye to my family. I said goodbye. I was prepared to raise like little Roman babies, all these things. And again, this shit writes itself on the top of the Spanish steps. He told me that he was no longer in love and he wanted to like move to Thailand and like ride his motorcycle and like do seems cheesy so cheesy yeah. but he wanted to do so that cheesy. without you oh totally like that was his whole thing like he Ugh. just needed he didn't think that he was suited for love marriage fatherhood he just wanted to like ride the motorcycle and smoke weed and be with like village people in India or Thailand and I'm Ugh. in typical like Alyssa fashion I fucking flew home the next day I, wow I, and I really loved this guy, and I really loved, like, the life that we had created, but I wasn't going to stick around. I just wasn't going to stick around for that. So I came back from Italy about two years ago just, like, oh, like so romantically burnt, just really burnt because I had you taken a chance on yeah. love, and it, it just it didn't work out. And I was, yeah, and it wasn't the first time that it happened to me. And the last thing I wanted to do was start dating. I hate online dating. I did not want to mm-hmm. just like swipe the rest of my 30s away. Like the thought of that, there's nothing more depressing <laughs> than that. I didn't want to ask everyone I knew if they knew a guy. Like I just didn't want any of it. But I was 37 and I really still wanted to have kids. So I was just like, fuck it. What am I waiting? Like I'm waiting for a man. Like mm-hmm. what am I? Seriously? Like all these things that I write and all my friends like you, like – all these modern women, and I'm here waiting for a man to 
marry me and give me babies? Like, it didn't compute suddenly. Um, I mean, yes, of course, I I realize, like, there's, I'm not knocking families where there's a mother and a father. It's, I'm so happy I've had my father. But, um, but I was just starting to think there are different ways to family. Um, I had two friends who were having babies through sperm donors. Very cool women, just women that I kind of looked up to. And Mm -hmm. I I feel like I always go there and like say that stuff on the record because there's still like a part of me that perhaps feels insecure that um, the only women who have babies with sperm donors are women who like couldn't get a man. And like it's so the opposite is so true with these two women and hopefully not with me. Um, it's women who are like, fuck men. It's it, Totally. Yeah. It's women who can get anyone um, but don't need it. So these two women told me what to do. And I just like, uh-huh. I'm very decisive, as you can tell from these breakups. <laughs> and I went home and they, I logged on to California Cryobank. I, I pull, I used a little bit of writerly pull and I like got the VIP uh, <laughs> membership uh, where you get to hear the voices of the sperm donors as adults. Oh, weird. Totally. So it's not just, I mean, like, I know, I know more about the sperm donor than you know about your wife, probably. And I'm sure you guys are very close. Yeah. But um, it's not. What like, do they this, tell you? In, well, I have, like, the in-depth health history, which is, of course, is the most important. Um, childhood photos. Some sperm banks have grown-up photos, but that was a little weird. Um, and so did you not look at the grown-up photos? Just the, this ba- yeah. the one I use doesn't have adult yeah. photos. It just has like a bunch of baby and kid photos. Mm-hmm. Um, like every detail about their ethnic. Like I'm really into cultures and ethnicity. Yeah. Like I just didn't want like a like a white guy lacrosse player. Like yeah. I I really wanted like something. <laughs> like I wanted a, like someone from Turkey or. Did you think particularly about how like about your own looks and which, yes yeah. So I did. So when I saw That's this Lebanese like, and Sicilian. Yeah. Donor who was like six four and like played college basketball. And also, like, sounds like the kind of guy you would date too. <laughs> dude, I'm in love with him. Um, I'm in. Lo- I never need to meet him. He's not my soulmate. He's not Hazel's father. No. But I have love for him. I really do, and I felt that love instantly. I knew I had to have a baby with this donor. Wow, that's um, so interesting. It's so romantic in a way. It's a really interesting. Like on behalf of your daughter, maybe or something. But Absolutely. Like, yeah. What was the like when you said you listened? You had there was audio recording of him. What was he? What were the words he was saying in those recordings? It was pretty ordinary stuff. The woman who asked the questions just asked such lame questions, like yeah. "Who's your favorite comedian?" He said, "Larry David." Um, yeah. What's your favorite animal? I mean, if you had like ten minutes with a sperm donor, would you really give a shit what his favorite? But it's tigers. <laughs> FYI, it's a tiger. Well, it's sort of interesting just to know like anything. Well, that for me, it was hearing his way. He had a very like masculine voice, but it was it was gentle. Like he there, he had a soft soul. I could tell. Um, and you he, may be projecting slightly. It doesn't matter. It gets me through <laughs> the Alyssa, day. This is the most romantic. Like, and as one who is a fan of all of Alyssa's romantic stories, her books, her essays, this is the most romantic story I think you've ever told. It's kind of beautiful, especially because it brought me. The ultimate great love, and, and that's my mm-hmm. daughter. It was the best decision of my life. It really was. And any woman who wants to talk about it is, f- is free to contact me. Speaking, 
sort of, sort of on that topic, um, one of my favorite things you did at The Cut, which has sort of come up repeatedly, was that you did all of our both sides of a breakup interviews, mm-hmm. or I think the bulk of them at least, yeah. where you did those sort of oral histories of two people talking about their breakups. And it occurred to me that I think you probably logged more hours than anyone of like listening to people sort of picking apart what did and didn't work in a relationship. I guess I'm just curious about what, what <sighs> if there were surprises over the course of doing that those projects, what you either learned or didn't learn, what was fun, what was horrible. Right. The The real lesson that I learned was that people are really willing to fight for love. I mean, I've interviewed mm-hmm. people that are, I think, in just like such unbearable scenarios. Uh, this one, I don't think struck a chord for many other people besides me, but I did a story on the woman whose boyfriend kept like going on ayahuasca journeys. Um and she was so supportive and like he would go whatever maximum that you're allowed to go. I don't know if that's once a year or once every other year um, because he, he couldn't find himself and he just couldn't, he just kept feeling unbalanced. And to me, it was just like, oh, like, don't you feel insulted by that? Like, doesn't that don't you think like the problem might be like that the relationship's broken? Maybe I was projecting, but I just thought that that, would, that, that took so much acceptance and um security on her part but i also sort of was just like girl he can't like you can't you gotta leave <laughs> like how many ayahuasca journeys does a person need to feel centered it's well, especially that, like going without you totally but so like that's a small example but i just i remember thinking is that like is this why i'm single like are most women willing to put up with a lot because like in the name of love maybe is it just women you think or men too um uh, women more than men, but I have to say of all the people I talk to and write about, like sort of like the most wounded are the divorced men who have been hurt by a woman. Um, those are like the saddest stories to me, even though they're like back on their feet and like mm-hmm. they're bumbling and whatever. But um, a, a man who's been like betrayed by a woman or hurt by a woman does not have the resilience that I think no. I would have. I think there's also some level of that I have this theory that the absolute worst breakup is always the kind of guy who doesn't feel overtly privileged, that he didn't grow up like rich or whatever, but he has been just privileged enough that he has never really had somebody say no to him in like an intense, painful way. And those are the guys that go completely psycho when you break up with them and who I think really don't bounce back because they're just used to getting shit because they're entitled white dudes like to be I don't want to be super like mean but all every single 201 of the breakups in my life that were really bad were all the kind of guy who like you know like he went to like a nice college he was always going to have a white collar job there was no question about that but he also like saw himself working you know like he had a work study job he sees himself like laboring for things and so thus he feels he deserves every single thing he gets and those are the people that there's some level that like when you break up with a certain kind of person who just hasn't engaged with the idea of unfairness in their life ever, sometimes that will be the first time that somebody really experiences the feeling of like this is just straight up injustice because the world is unjust and you don't get – you can be in love with somebody and you don't deserve to get the love back always. Right. Someone who has like imposter syndrome is easier to break up with. Yes, like, precisely. People yeah. with low self-esteem, <laughs> done. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's people who haven't experienced a lot of struggle. Um, I, I think, I mean, breakups breakups They're are always painful, hard. Yeah. painful, no matter what end you're on. Um, I've really only been, I think maybe you date a little more 
often like I I really am like a great love or no love mm-hmm. person. So I haven't like broken millions of hearts because like you don't even <laughs> like make it that far into my life if I'm not already crazy about you. Um, but the breakups I've had have all been super traumatic. A lot of like these stories I write about are fun and sexy and um, hilarious and disgusting, whatever. But a lot of them are just sad. It's mm-hmm. sad. I think dating and being single, I like I'm really happy. I have a good attitude about it. And that I, I, I have good luck and I, I meet great men. But um, it's just it's a depressing scene. I like, love being single. But you know what? I think you're right. But aren't you dating so that really aren't you dating so that you can eventually stop dating? No. You know what? This is and this is also my great question for you of like, do you because I often ask myself that am I dating for entertainment? Am I dating to stop dating? And like, I actually think I really struggle with that idea of whether I actually ever want to commit to someone. Well, first of all, that was my long, like, those were, <laughs> those were my words for so long. Alyssa, tell me my future. And, no, I, <laughs> I, I believe you. Like, yeah. I, you, you are one of the most sincere women I know and one of the most, like, honest journalists I know. But I wonder if beneath all that, you really wouldn't mind being madly in love with someone who was madly <laughs> in love with you back. It, it wouldn't feel bad, would it? <laughs> Probably not. I assume it wouldn't be torturous. I mean, you're in love. You've been in love. Yeah. It's great, right? It's awesome. It's awesome. This is like getting really heavy. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is what happens when you have a baby. Like, you start to, like, you feel things on a deeper level. You think about things on a deeper level. Um, but, yeah. So, yes. Um, I used to say, whatever, love, I just want romance. Or I just want to be thrilled. Or I just want to be adored. But now... I realize I will be fine if if I don't. I am fine without a man. Um, mm. I will have a happy future if it doesn't happen. But it would make life a lot sweeter to be in love. Oh my god! In some weird way, then I'm like, oh no! When I realized, I was like, <laughs> she literally started. You started writing about sex at 28, which is like exactly what I did. I'm like, is this my future? Well, what is it? Listen, my. That's really optimistic. It, it would be okay. If my future is you, I'd be really happy. <laughs> okay, good. I didn't realize the degree to which this was going to be like intense for me. <laughs> I'm so happy that it wasn't, yeah, we connected on this level. I feel like it's I've been amazing. sitting in on like a therapy session. I know. I feel like we've made some progress today. <laughs> I feel great. Do you? I feel amazing. Okay. I feel so the one thing I've noticed. You know who's when- going to feel the best? David's wife, when she, he's going to go home and be like, I haven't told you this in so long, but I'm so happy that you chose to love me and I chose to love you. I feel like David probably tells her that a lot. Oh, really? She, yeah, she doesn't hear it, though. No. <laughs> no, she, she does, she does. Well, tell her to listen to the podcast. <laughs> um, before you go, Alyssa, I know you edit the, the famous sex diaries at New York Magazine, which run you know every week, somebody explaining their sex life for a week. And maybe do you want to put in a plug for that? Definitely. I'm looking for candidates of all lifestyles, even people having no sex whatsoever. Um, send an email to sexdiaries at nymag.com. I can give you more info then. Here's my cry for help. I need a diverse mix of people um, sending in diaries because I just keep getting like the horny girls in Bushwick who are just like, <laughs> 
having so much sex, you guys. <laughs> I feel like you should. Do you live in the- Bushwick, Maureen? I live in Williamsburg, <laughs> and I'm so mad at those bitches. And maybe I'm going to move to Bushwick next. <laughs> Dude, I would be so afraid if I was a guy. I would like never. I feel like you should publish those on like a Tumblr. It would be like like penthouse forum. The horny girls of Bushwick.com. Yeah. But it's like boring to me. Like I get it. You're like our Polly and you're Polly and on Molly and like you live in <laughs> Bushwick. Um, good luck. But and then I get like the the gay men who are just like um, having having a ball and like blowing the you know the MTA driver on, on the way to work or whatever. Like I get like these. Well, you get the people that have really active sex lives. I imagine. right because I also post on Craigslist for mm. um, for people for um, to solicit to solicit yeah. and like anyone I think by nature who's like creeping on to like Craig Craigslist. Um, like I'm not judging it at all, but like. People looking for sex on Craigslist are going to have really, I think, colorful sex lives. Are those really like legit listings, like the sex listings on Craigslist? Well, to the curvy Filipina with a pierced clit who keeps emailing me pictures of her boyfriend's dick, I don't think she's legit. (laughs) I don't because I get the same. It's like the subject will be like. Asian delicacy, like coming in your mouth, and it'll be like I'm a curvy Filipino with a pierced clit, and then it'll be like, a, like Italian uh, bellissima coming in your mouth, and it'll be like I'm an Asian, I'm a curvy Filipino with a pierced with a pierced yeah, clit. Yeah. So it's I think there's like a lot of escort ads. Yeah, I assume. Yeah. What would be your dream sex diary? Like what kind? What would be the like? Oh my god, this is the person I've been waiting for. You know what? Like. A couple, like a happy couple with a healthy sex life, mm-hmm. would in, would interest Do you not get me. Any of those? No, because they they're not like on Craigslist misconnections. <laughs> but maybe they're listening now. Yeah, please. I think that would actually be very healthy for people like us, like for mm-hmm. us girls, um, to to hear about. Like, I'm also I don't understand how happy relationships, how like I've only had really like difficult and intense relationships that were wonderful but they've just never been like easy and Mm -hmm. pleasurable on all levels and I'm curious how that works you know what I'm also dying for in these sex diaries like a priest or people who don't have sex just like the sex life of a person that has no sex is always really interesting to me okay I wasn't gonna say anything because this is like an example of a guy who I I really respect his privacy yeah (laughs) however um, I dated someone recently who had been celibate for many, many years, not by choice, but like for Jesus um, prior to... Well, that's kind of by choice. What do you mean? Uh, well, not, not for lack of of options. Right. Like, you know, like not because he couldn't get laid, right. but because he he was... I, I'm not Catholic. I don't know how it works, but he was like making the sacrifice for Jesus or vowing. He, he was his... doing it for a reason other... It wasn't about his sex drive. It was right. about... Or about his love life. It was about, Like a religious sacrifice. Yeah. Um, oh my! So God. even that, right? Like I, like, I, I, I haven't had enough in my life. I have to like get like the celibate Jesus freak. <laughs> well, you can think of it the other way. He's like giving all that shit up for you, and he did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, girl, <laughs> was that great? Honestly, it was really good. I, I think there's something to be said for like, um, like holding back for as long as possible. A lot of pent up energy. Yeah. And other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our guest has been Alyssa Shalaski. Alyssa, it's been a blast. Hope to see you again soon. Thank you.
And now, voicemails. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we got lots of interesting feedback on our episode from last week about orgasms. Keep that coming, by the way. Uh, here is one of our favorites from this week. Hey, guys. Um, I was calling in about your recent podcast episode on orgasms. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I was so interested in the conversation. Um, I think that the conversation about the orgasm gap is wonderful. I think it opened the door for a really important conversation that needs to remain nuanced and Really, that's a conversation about a pleasure gap, right? Like, and I think like so many things we've sort of taken because I think we're very goal oriented just in general. And then when you lay that on top of being goal oriented in terms of sex, it's unfortunately super reductive where suddenly it's just about like, did you come? Good. Cool. All right. Check that box, which is so sad, right? Because if what we're really talking about is pleasure, you know, there are people who may never orgasm for whatever reason and still experience such great pleasure. So I just think having a more nuanced conversation about pleasure, right, instead of just looking at orgasm as the, like the ultimate benchmark. I do think what I, I find troubling is how we have this double standard still where it's like, if a guy gives a woman an orgasm, people are, like, handing out, like, a fucking Nobel Peace Prize. Like, oh, you figured it out. Like, you are amazing. And if a guy doesn't give a woman an orgasm, it's like, well, no sweat. We've all been there. Vaginas are confusing. Right? <laughs> Whereas if a woman doesn't give a man an orgasm, it's like, are you broken? What happened? Right? But if a woman does give a man an orgasm, it's like, well, sorry, he's got a dick, you know? <laughs> and that was something that in my first long-term relationship, when I first had the experience of my male partner not orgasm, like wanting to stop and basically just being like, all right, cool, like, I'm, I'm tired, let's stop. I confronted this whole other thing that I didn't even know I had that was like, wait a minute, but, but, you, didn't, but you didn't come. Oh, my God, you didn't come. And I, I, I didn't make you come, you know? And so I think there's a larger issue that we've made the male orgasm the end point of sexual encounter when it doesn't have to be, right? And I don't think the answer is replacing it with the female orgasm necessarily being the end point, but just understanding that it's a process, right? It's a process of pleasure. And what that pleasure can be for any given person in any given relationship can change. So anyway, I loved your conversation. I thought it was great. Uh, keeping awesome. Bye. What I found really interesting, particularly about that, is that it is true that it's really a pleasure gap, not an orgasm yeah. gap that we're talking about. And when she points out that a goal-oriented world gets really fixated on sort of like we need a benchmark to measure how much pleasure happened is really interesting to me because there is also some degree – I mean I think that's true in sex and in love. I think sometimes people feel like they need – something really concrete to measure, like, we're this much in love, so now there's a ring on it. Where, you know, the sex was this good, and thus there were X number of orgasms. Because it's sort of hard to have that sort of amorphous conversation of, was it good, how good, etc. Yeah, well, it also makes me think of, like, all of these relationships sort of before sexual liberation, you imagine, you know, a lot more women were not having orgasms. And then in those relationships, were the men just totally indifferent to the sexual pleasure of their partner? Or do they just have a very, like, murky sense of whether um, their partner was enjoying it? Like, were they actually attuned to their partner, but not in a way that allowed them to help them have orgasm? You know, it's just like, it's interesting to think of that as like a, I don't know, like a, um, 
the blindness of those sexual relationships mm-hmm. where it does not may not necessarily mean that um, it doesn't mean the, that those women weren't having fun or that or that the men were indifferent to the to yeah. their pleasure like it just they just because still they care. wanted yeah. yeah that's like a very men's focused response to a totally women's focused <laughs> voice though but <laughs> Anyway, that's it for Sex Lives this week. A reminder, you can always reach us at 646-494-3590. This week, I don't know. I mean, tell us about um, your sex life as a happily married person. Tell us about what it's like to date with a young baby. What else should we ask about? When you stopped fucking with your baby in the room. (laughs) Sex Lives is produced by Sam Dingman. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. See you next week, and thanks for listening.